Welcome to the Music Mindfully Podcast with your host, Aliyah Elliott. This is a place where musicians come to get inspired, to conquer their fears, to overcome self-doubt, and learn to love their music and themselves a little more every day. Let's make music mindfully. Hello and welcome back to the Music Mindfully podcast. This is your host, Aliyah Elliott, and I am so excited to welcome Melissa Schwartz on to the podcast today. Now, Melissa is an author, a speaker, and a coach who specializes in high sensitivity. She began her career as a professional photographer, but now she spends her days helping highly sensitive parents and parents of highly sensitive children through her company, Leading Edge Parenting. So if any of you have kiddos, this would be a great website to check it out. Um, Some of you know that I'm expecting and I am definitely going to be spending more time on Melissa's website. Now, When I was chatting with Melissa, she let me know that high sensitivity is really, really common among creative people. It really shouldn't be that big of a surprise. But today she joins us to discuss what high sensitivity is and how to manage it, um, whether we are highly sensitive ourselves or teaching highly sensitive people in our studios. So Melissa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for being here. It's, uh, It's such an honor and a pleasure to chat with you today. Oh, thanks, Aaliyah. I'm so happy to be here and have this time with you. I am so excited. So before we like dive right on in, I want to know what inspired you or what led you to becoming an expert on high sensitivity? <laughs> How long do we have? Um, <clears throat> the short story is I was born a really sensitive, intense person. And so I've never been able to get away from it. And um, as you mentioned, I had a career as a professional photographer in my 20s. And when I got a little bit older, I started working with my mom, who was just, a, you know, helping parents. She worked um, with children and, and was an educator for many, many years. And, and so I, I kind of like burned myself out on photography and I started working to help her grow her business. And what I realized was I actually had a voice to contribute as her sensitive, intense daughter. And parents started asking me for support because their kids and I sounded really similar. And so I sort of became an expert because I just dove headfirst into understanding what was going on inside of these little children that were so sensitive, so intense, felt things so deeply, really wanted to have autonomy and power. And I started reading books and taking workshops and going to seminars and learning from people in the field and then kind of transferring that wisdom into what I was experiencing with my clients and the families I was working with. Um, And then over the years, I mean, I've been doing this for over a decade at this point, I started noticing other things about um, how sensory systems work and how some kids have really, really responsive sensory systems and how that's not quite high sensitivity, but it can show up with it. And so my work has evolved over the years because I live and breathe this stuff. This is like my all day, every day, coming to understand what sensitivity is, what it looks like, how it plays out in different family dynamics and different 
um, types of wounds and trauma that people live with in different cultures around the world, you know, and in, in different parenting styles, because all of that can really impact how sensitivity will manifest in somebody. So I guess I became an expert because I just kind of dedicated my life to this stuff. And um, and because I love it so much, it's what gets me up in the morning and it's what fires me up. This, these are my favorite conversations to have. So I hope that, I hope that answers your question in a satisfying way. <laughs> it sure does. Absolutely. And it's so awesome um, that you were sort of led into all the, all the research and all the learning because you yourself have experience being a highly sensitive person. Yes. So how do you define high sensitivity? So, you know, high sensitivity is actually, I sometimes think it's a little bit challenging to define because it can look different in so many people. So I always like to go to Elaine Aaron, who is sort of like the grandmother of the, the modern movement of high sensitivity, because she coined an acronym to describe highly sensitive people that I think just nails it. So I'll run you through her acronym, which is awesome. D-O-E-S. And the D stands for depth of processing. So what that means is all highly sensitive people are deep processors, meaning um, we like to really pick apart experiences and savor them. And we look for meaning in things. And um, a highly sensitive person who goes to a movie or a concert will walk away with all of these insights and questions and you know, internal narratives that now they're kind of working through following an experience. Whereas somebody who isn't highly sensitive has the experience and it's over, right? So we are naturally deep processors. The O in the acronym stands for overstimulation or over arousal. And what that means is that as highly sensitive people, we can become over, over full. Like we, I once had a colleague who explained it in this way, she said, um, highly sensitive people are like a bathtub that fills quickly but drains slowly. And so it takes us a longer amount of time to decompress. We can become more easily overwhelmed by an experience, by a sensory experience, by an emotional experience than our non-highly sensitive counterparts, which is part of why as children we had really big tantrums and some of us might still have some of them as adults. Um, and then the E in the acronym stands for emotional sensitivity. I like to think about it as emotional saturation. So if you think about emotions like crayons, for example, the non-highly sensitive person has like the eight pack. They have the primary emotions like happy, sad, joyful, angry, nervous, really the kind of like core emotions where the highly sensitive person has the super value pack with all of the nuanced shades of emotions. So we've got all those primary emotions, but we also have magenta and coral and um, sky blue pink, which might be more like bittersweet or, or um, um, confident or um, curious. So we feel more nuanced emotions and we feel them in a more saturated way. So our, our joys are more joyful and our depressions are more depressive and we just feel everything in a, in a really magnified way. And then the S in the DOES stands for sensing subtleties. And this is where musicians really thrive as highly sensitive people. We, we pick up on subtleties that other people won't notice. So pitch 
is really important to a sensitive person. Um, timing is really important to a sensitive person. Tone is really important to a sensitive person. We pick up on that nuance in a way that non-highly sensitive people might not notice. So the DOES, the depth of processing, over arousal, emotional saturation, and sensing subtleties are the four qualities that all highly sensitive people experience. Beyond that, it can look different. There can be introverts, extroverts, strong-willed, um, really mild-mannered. It, it, can, it can go in all sorts of different ways. And to some degree, that's also part of our genetics, but it can also be part of the environment that we're raised in. You know, the way that we're understood or misunderstood, especially in childhood, can, can affect us. But those four qualities show up in all highly sensitive people. Wow, that is so fascinating to me to have it broken down in that way. And as you were chatting, it was like, oh, wow, this sounds like me. <laughs> so I think I think you hit the nail on the head that there are a lot of musicians out there who might be highly sensitive, but maybe don't like know that that's why we feel the way we feel and why we're so like, I don't want to use the word nitpicky because it makes it sound like a bad thing. <laughs> But uh, but in, it, it's true, right? We're so detail oriented in a lot of ways as musicians, um, and we're trained to be that way. But some people come by it more naturally. Yes, and I love that you say detail oriented because that is reframing the nitpickiness into a strength and an asset, which is what we as highly sensitive people deserve to do because we are wired differently. One in five people are highly sensitive, so it's like. Oh, wow over a billion people on the planet have this, It's an and it's an innate genetic trait that we're born with that doesn't ever go away. And no matter how hard you work to not be highly sensitive, it's not gonna happen. And so when we embrace these qualities in ourselves, then we can really use them for being detail-oriented, for noticing, for having refined, um, you know, characteristics and, and an ability to really um, notice what sounds beautiful and what eh, could be a little bit better. It's not because we're insatiable or unpleasable. It's because we have a really strong knowing about what feels good and we deserve to honor that inner voice. Absolutely. Oh, that's, that's so beautiful. And you're right that I mean, it's, we've had lots of uh, conversations about bossiness, yeah. right? Recently with talking about, you know, especially young girls calling them bossy and being like, well, no, actually, they're empowered, right? So always finding that positive spin uh, when you're dealing with any kind of behavior can be really, really, really helpful and validating for the for the human that's experiencing it. Absolutely. When I was a little girl and people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would say the boss. I love because it. I didn't care what I was the boss of. I just wanted to be in control of my experience, you know? And now what I tell people is I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've always been self-employed. So when, instead of calling little girls bossy, let's say they have leadership qualities, they have entrepreneurial spirit, because that is really what it is, right? It's just Absolutely. difficult to, to rein it in and to help them um, channel it and harness it in an appropriate way when they're really young, which is why parents come to work with me, because they've got these strong kids that they don't know what to do with. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but we don't want to talk them out of it. We just want to guide it and direct it in a way where it allows the children to be who they are without 
over overshadowing the parents and kind of, you know, running rampant over the whole family. Right, right. Okay, so I have a question for you as a studio teacher, and I know that a lot of my audience, um, as musicians, we often wear so many hats. A lot of my audience is also teaching, even if they are also, you know, gigging, doing the freelance thing. So many of us are spending time with youth, and um, and a lot of them are really sensitive to feedback. Yes. So how do we approach feedback in our in our studios when we're interacting with children that may be highly sensitive? Great question. So what tends to work really well is when we first offer some sort of praise. Like, mm -hmm. let's say you're teaching a child on piano. I'm using that because that's the instrument that I played when I was growing up. You might say something like, wow, you really are able to stretch your hands out and reach all of that, like that whole range. And I'm thinking we might want to slow the tempo down a little bit. It feels a little faster than the way the music was written. Let's give it another go. So that rather than just jumping straight into what they might perceive as criticism, you offer a little bit of a pat on the back, a compliment, something that they're doing well first so that they can take the feedback in stride and it doesn't feel like mm, they're bad or wrong. A lot of sensitive people, but especially children, have what I would call perfectionistic tendencies. And so we have a hard time when we don't do something right or we don't get it right away. It's not uncommon for a young child who's highly sensitive to like crumple up a paper when they don't nail their drawing the first time or, you know, want to slam the, the top of the piano down and walk away in frustration if they can't play a complicated piece on the first go. So just having that in mind and saying to them, you know, it took me a really long time to be able to learn this too. Nobody, not even Mozart got it on his first try and helping them to recognize that they're not being held to a higher standard that can be really helpful for offering feedback and and light loving criticism. <laughs> yes, I love it. And I mean, it does play. I think there's two sides to the coin, um, as we've learned by chatting with you already, um, with being highly sensitive. So there's that perfectionistic tendency, right? But there's also that desire for detail. Yes. Right. That that really deep processing. Right. So I think finding that balance uh, is is really helpful. And um, I was actually just listening to a podcast this morning. Shout out to the Full Voice podcast. I was listening to you, Nikki Loney and Mim Adams, and they were chatting about two stars and a wish. And I loved that that way of framing it. Um, but same thing, right? Giving that positive feedback so that we're acknowledging the things that they're doing well because there's always something that they're doing well yes. before marching in there with orders absolutely and one other thing i want to um, suggest for those teachers is i have um a client that i work with who is actually a, a music teacher that's what mom and and dad actually both of them are and mom was asking me about one of her students not even about mm -hmm. her child and um this child was really struggling to perform in the way that the teacher was hoping and mm -hmm. so one of the things that we came to 
was giving this student a few minutes of just improv. And it could be at the beginning or at the end of a lesson where it's totally unstructured and they just get to explore because that way they are successful. You can't go wrong with improv, right? Nobody can mess it up. That's the whole point of it. And so if you have a particular student who seems really sensitive to or really reactive to feedback, you might start off your session by saying, you know what, we're going to start freeform. And then you can even call back to that during the session and say something like, you know, I was thinking about how you started. I really loved that, you know, the, the, the tempo that you had or the, you know, the, the way you played the scale or whatever it is that you can kind of pull out of what they did as a starting point for really nurturing their inner spirit and their creativity, because what they most want is to please and to feel confident. And so you can absolutely offer feedback when it's surrounded by loving feedback. Then they can handle that more critical feedback. Exactly. Absolutely. And I love that idea of starting with unstructured time so that they can explore, right? I think, and I'm sure that you see this a lot too, that a lot of highly sensitive people are so creative, whether it's music or any other avenue. Yes. I actually have one more little tip while we're on the subject that I'm thinking about another client that I worked with. Um, Some highly sensitive people can feel really overwhelmed when they learn a whole piece at once. Like Mm -hmm. there's one um, teenager that I've been working with who just kind of wanted to walk away from guitar lessons because learning a whole song felt overwhelming. And when the teacher slowed it down and just started working on one section at a time so she could really master it, uh, this particular girl felt so much more confident and more excited about participating in the lessons. So if you're struggling with a particular student, I would encourage you to wonder, can I teach in a different way? Can I can I create sections of learning rather than taking a whole song? Or is there another way to teach this particular technique that might get me in with them differently? Sensitive people tend to respond well to nuanced change, not big change. So trying a little tweak here and a little tweak there will usually yield a really big result. That's awesome. I love it. And yes, such great advice. I think um, in my own studio, it's not very often that I, you know, teach a whole song to a small child, unless it's like eight bars, <laughs> you know, those beginner piano pieces. But um, it, yeah, it's it, it can be so overwhelming. And I think that's true, of perhaps of all children and not just highly sensitive children. But um, I can see how that that overwhelm would be exacerbated by being a highly sensitive individual. Yeah, and they really want to feel success. So if they can get a small piece and feel successful, then they're ready to take on the next piece. Whereas if it feels too daunting for them, they're gonna give up a little more easily or they're gonna feel um, incapable and not be as motivated as they otherwise might be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think like that's a big conversation that we're often having in our music teacher forums is about, you know, when kids are on that cusp of wanting to quit lessons, like, well, 
why? <laughs> what is the real reason, right? Um, and I mean, sometimes they just don't love the instrument that they're playing or music isn't their thing. And that's totally okay, right? We've given them the space to explore and they've made their decision and that's perfectly fine. But you're right that sometimes it is just that the way they're being taught isn't sort of jiving with the way that their brain works. That's exactly it. And the highly sensitive brain, it just works in a different way. <laughs> Absolutely. So what are some things that we can look out for? Because of course, if we ask a parent, is your child highly sensitive? Um, then they may or may not disclose that or they may not even like understand what that means. So what can we be looking for in those children or in the youth that we're working with? Yeah. So again, it can be a little challenging for me to offer generalizations because it can look so different. But Many highly sensitive people are what I would call slow to warm. So they might be a little more reserved, a little more timid, um, not quite as open as you're like bouncing introverts, extroverts that come like bounding in there and they're ready to go right away, right? Um, so highly sensitive children are usually a little bit slower to get comfortable. Um, like I was saying, they're usually a little more of a perfectionist, so they might take their time and not want to rush into what they're doing and really make sure that they kind of find their way and, and they really get their fingers positioned properly. And um, and they might say, no. Like, So if you notice a child getting really frustrated when they make a mistake, that could be an indicator that they're highly sensitive. Um, the other thing is if you see them having any sort of like emotional outbursts, tantric mm -hmm. kind of behavior, things where they get uh, so upset and what I'm going to call dysregulated, where they really swing into those uncomfortable emotions quickly, that could be an indicator that they're highly sensitive, um, especially if they're experiencing those more nuanced emotions like um, you know, if, if, if they say things like, I'm no good at this, or I'm a failure, mm -hmm. or, I can never get this right, chances are pretty good that they're highly sensitive and they're really just beating themselves up because they didn't nail it that first time. Um, and you can also ask parents, you know, tell me a little bit about the feedback that you get from your child's teacher. Um, sensitive kids tend to kind of get through in the classroom, they can usually hold it together and then they might fall apart a little bit at home. You could even ask the parents, you know, how does your child do after our lesson? How are your car rides home? Or how are the hours following our lesson? Are they happy and talking about it? Are they processing what went on? Are they practicing immediately? Do they want nothing to do with anybody? How they respond following a lesson can also be an indicator, um, right? Because as those deep processors and those people who can become easily overstimulated, they might need some downtime or they might need to blow off some steam by running around or, you know, getting a little wild, something like that. So those are all different indicators that can point to high sensitivity. Wow, that is so fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I never would have thought about that time after the lesson and checking in with parents you know unless you've had someone who's you know had a meltdown in your <laughs> studio and then you check in later right but if you had even a really positive seeming lesson right it can be yeah i've never thought about how valuable it could be um and what we can glean from that information Ooh, this is juicy <laughs> so cool so cool so then 
um, you chatted a little bit about those those times when people are thinking like, oh, I'm not good enough or I can't do this. Now I hear a lot of those same phrases <laughs> uttered by adult musicians, professionals, mm. amateurs alike. It doesn't matter. So in this really competitive space that is the world of music, how do highly sensitive people navigate the inevitable things like rejection um, or, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the times we might end up getting some feedback that's really not handled in a caring and loving manner. So how do we as adult musicians manage our own high sensitivity in those kind of situations? Yeah, beautiful question. So the, the first thing I would say is there's room for all of us. You know, there's, there's room for every musician. There are so many places in the world where we need musicians. Yes. And so one is to find your niche and be willing for it to not be what you envisioned. You know, you might not be a, a touring rock star. You might be playing at weddings or parties or, um, you know, you might find your niche in a different place. So be open to new ways of thinking about where you fit in, you know, in your professional career. I think the other thing is to remember that most people in a creative field deal with rejection. It's, mm -hmm. it's part of the experience, unfortunately, you know, and um, if you do any reading about some of like the greats of our time, um, we have an article on our website somewhere about you know, Einstein and Oprah and all of these people who we know as successful, but actually really struggled along the way towards their success. Absolutely. And it's almost, I mean, I would even say it's like akin to practicing a really complicated piece. You know, if we hear you perform this complicated piece beautifully, we don't know all of the hours you spent messing up and beating yourself up for not getting it and, you know, being imperfect along the way. So finding some compassion towards yourself is really important in general as a highly sensitive person. Um, but there's something I want to add here, like kind of a takeaway tool, which is around the way that we process deeply as highly sensitive people. Because I always say there are sort of two ways that we can process. The first is what I would call circling the drain, where you just kind of get on a ruminating hamster wheel of all the reasons why it's not fair and it shouldn't be and you don't mm -hmm. like it and you're never going to amount to anything and you're not good enough and why did you even try and you spend all of this time in your head processing and you feel worse than when you started okay yep. but as highly sensitive people we also have the ability to process to get somewhere and so when we when that that processing looks like um you know I really wanted this opportunity and it wasn't the right one for me. And I know that other things are going to come my way and it's not because I'm not good enough. And maybe this was actually a blessing in disguise. I'm trusting that new doors are going to open because I really love what I'm doing. And I know that I can do this and I was born to do this. I feel it with every fiber of my being every time I pick up my instrument, that's processing to feel better. And as sensitive people, we actually are really good at that. 
But unfortunately, many of us didn't in our childhood learn how to process in that way. We learned from the people around us who modeled for us how to handle life to get on that ruminating hamster wheel. And so it's become familiar and comfortable for us. But we actually are really, really good at processing to get to a better feeling place. So if you are down on yourself, if you're not feeling good about you know, where you are in your career or what's going on or rejection or, or criticism that you got, see if you can process it to land in a place where you feel better because you have that innate ability in you. It's hardwired into you, just like your ability to pick up an instrument and play it is hardwired into you. It just takes practice and processing takes practice to train our minds to process, to get someplace that's better feeling. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love it. And now we're speaking the same language for sure. <laughs> right. And, and it's true that, I mean, everything takes practice and whether you're a small child or an adult, right. If you haven't had that experience of handling the big emotions and processing them, processing them in a healthy way, then you are going to get stuck under that that little black rain cloud, as Winnie the Pooh would put it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's also, it's like, um, you know, I'm thinking about when I tried to play guitar when I was in high school. And I was learning really um, unskilled habits because my hands weren't big enough to stretch. And so I was, I was playing in a way that wasn't the way that my teacher really wanted me to learn, but it's what I was like coping. I was like finding my inroad. And we do that, that kind of habitual patterning all over in our life where we set ourselves up. We think, you know, it's muscle memory that's for our benefit, but it actually isn't. And so then we have to go back in and relearn and learn how to do it in a new way, learn how to do it in a more efficient way, the way to, to get what we're really wanting out of it. And so as musicians, our brains are wired for patterns, for practice, for, you know, creating these neural pathways that are really deeply embedded. And so if you've got something in your, your thinking patterns that feels not good to you, say to yourself, I'm going to change this. Just like if you learned how to play guitar with your right hand instead of your left hand. And that's, you learned like with the wrong dominant hand, right? It's like, you have to relearn how to do it. And we get so used to thinking about life and reacting to life in the ways that we grew up with it, even when it isn't what feels really good. It's because it's what's comfortable. It's what we were taught with. But if it's not serving us, then as adults, we get to make a change. We get to make a decision that we're going to do it differently. Absolutely. And that's, that's exactly it is it is a decision that we have to consciously make, right? It's not going to be like turning on a light switch, where it's like, okay, no, now I'm going to be more positive. Right? If yes. we've always been sort of that ruminating type of person, that's not like our personalities are somewhat genetic, but the way that we feel and the way that we think think are things that we can control. Absolutely. Our personality is actually, so, so let's talk about this for a minute, especially yeah. since we're ready to bring a new little one into the world. So we are actually born with a particular temperament or hardwiring and high sensitivity is one aspect of hardwiring. 
But there are like eight or nine aspects of hardwiring that were actually coined by some um, child psychologists back in the 1800s, I believe, early 1900s, um, Chess and Thomas. And what they talk about is how these temperaments show up in different people. And I always think about each aspect like a lens, like when you go to the eye doctor mm. and you look through those different lenses, yeah. and we kind of line them up and look through them and that tells us who somebody is. And when I get to know a child, when I'm working with their parents, I start by looking through their temperament lenses to understand what drives their behavior. Now, personality actually develops based on how our temperament is responded to in childhood. So if you are a highly sensitive child with a really high activity level, meaning you've got to move your body a lot, and you were raised by a family who doesn't like to talk about emotions and believes that children should sit still all the time, your personality is going to morph into mm, kind of bitter and unpleasant to be with because who you are isn't understood and it's not nurtured. Whereas that same child in, a, in an environment with a family where they understand high sensitivity, where we teach emotional um, language, where we honor their desire to move their body in appropriate ways, that child is gonna grow up feeling confident and joyful and self-assured. So, temp so temperament is never gonna change, but personality actually develops in life based on how that person is responded to and understood or misunderstood. And personality can change in life. So if you grew up in a family where you didn't feel understood, with teachers where you felt criticized, in a town where nobody ever um, recognized you for your gifts and talents, and then you decided as an adult to move away, and you notice that your personality is different, that is that makes sense. Because in a new environment, under new circumstances, your personality will show up differently. So personality is actually quite malleable. It's not stagnant. It's not static. It's not a permanent thing. That's why some people, when they have a traumatic brain injury, have like a whole new personality in life because the brain gets rewired, you know, the way that the, the neural pathways are communicating show up in a whole different way. And it's almost like a new person emerges after an accident or something like that. So I couldn't help myself. I just wanted to jump in there and let you know, because anybody who feels mm, hindered by what they grew up with, you as an adult have the opportunity to change it. It really just matters about your desire and your willingness to show up in a new way. That is so fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's very, very, very cool. Um, and it makes sense. Of course it makes sense that if you, you know, were constantly being told, no, you don't behave like this or, oh, you're bad or whatever, that of course we would have more behavioral problems and more negative thinking and more, you know, limiting beliefs yes. because that's the kind of attitude we've been surrounded by. So in adulthood, when we're faced with things like, you know, that rejection letter after your audition <laughs> or whatever, um, when we're faced with those things, our upbringing can come into play, but our upbringing is not like a life sentence. Exactly. That's exactly and We it. can make that choice. Yes. And you deserve to make the choice because Absolutely. you, you know, you're the only you that exists. So um, be your, be your best version. The world is asking for it. Yeah. Yes. 
Oh, so, so beautiful. Thank you so much. This has been an absolutely incredible and super insightful conversation. Um, I'm sure that there's still so much more to learn. Um, and you do offer a ton of different, uh, it looks like you've got some workshops. I know you do speaking, all a whole bunch of different kinds of things. So how can my audience, how can we find you and connect with you to learn more? So my website, leadingedgeparenting.com is the best way. There are links to all the social media things. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and if anybody is interested in talking with me, I also offer a free initial coaching call. So if anybody has questions, if you're listening and you're thinking, hmm, I really want to change my personality. I'm ready to make a shift from the way that I was raised. Or if you have a child that's highly sensitive or you're working with those kids and you want to chat with me, you can actually uh, book that session right on the website as well. That is so amazing. Of course, as always, my friends, I will be including all those links in the show notes. So definitely go and check out Melissa Schwartz and Leading Edge Parenting. This has been, like I said, so incredibly valuable. And I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Aaliyah. My pleasure. And I just want to thank all the musicians for putting the soundtrack to life out there for us. Without music, life would be so dull and boring. So I'm appreciating everybody who's listening here for sharing their gifts and talents with the world. Well, it is certainly our pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Music Mindfully podcast. Did you have an aha moment? Did something really resonate with you? Be sure to let me know. Screenshot this episode, share it on social media, and don't forget to tag me at Music Mindfully. I would also love to chat with you, so feel free to hop on into my DMs. I cannot wait to connect with you on the next episode of the Music Mindfully podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss out. Until then, go make music mindfully.